Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirkanish right here in the middle. This is the Smirkanish podcast for independent minds. Let me set up and it's going to take me a bit to do it. Today's survey question at Smirkanish.com. I think I will get there this way. Mark Halpern will join me in the second hour of the program as he does second hour of every Wednesday program. And Mark has a fun episode of his Wide World of News today. He revisits the question, and I think he does this deliberately on a Wednesday because he knows that it's the sort of thing that I enjoy discussing with him. Where are we relative to the Democratic presidential nomination for 2024? Where are we for the Republican nomination in 2024? Who are the top five as of right now to secure the nomination? And I will tell you, and I'll discuss this with Mark, that on the Democratic side of the aisle, he says coming in at number five, and this is as of today, what is today, the 30th of March of 2022, as of today, who's most likely to be the Democratic nominee? Number five is Pete Buttigieg. Number four is President Biden. Number three is Vice President Kamala Harris. Number two, other He doesn't know. Somebody to be determined. And as of today, who is the most likely Democratic nominee? He says Secretary Clinton. Now, I will ask Mark. I don't think Mark is saying Hillary is going to be the nominee. I think he's saying that, well, as of today, she's the most likely. But he's got other ahead of Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. On the Republican side of the aisle, and that's really where I want to focus for this portion of the program, at number five, he says it's Tom Cotton. Number four, Ted Cruz. Number three, other. So someone other than Cruz or Cotton is more likely than Cruz or Cotton to be the nominee. Coming in at number two, you can guess Ron DeSantis. Number one. Donald J. Trump. As of today, the most likely Republican nominee, Donald J. Trump. And I have to agree with what he says. And I maintain that if Trump wants it and you know my three factors, I'm not even going to. Well, actually, I better identify. Uh, He needs to be healthy, solvent and unindicted. Now, let me focus on the third of those Trump characteristics. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. 
Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. On Monday, a judge appointed by Bill Clinton from the Middle District of California, Judge Carter, Judge David Carter wrote an opinion. This has to do with a subpoena of emails from a Chapman University professor. His name is John Eastman. The judge in this case, and I made reference to this, said that he thought he offered this opinion in the context of whether emails needed to be produced to the January 6th committee. And he came to the conclusion that Donald Trump had corruptly tried to obstruct the certification process on January the 6th, preceding and on January the 6th. So a federal judge reached an opinion in the context of deciding whether records needed to be produced that President Trump, then President Trump, corruptly tried to obstruct the certification process. In fact, his language was, the judge's language was to say, It was a coup in search of a legal theory. The third, I think, significant conclusion, opinion from this judge is that if it had worked, if what lawyer John Eastman and President Trump were attempting, if it had worked, this corrupt effort to obstruct the certification process, it would have permanently ended the peaceful transition of power. And that opinion got a lot of attention on Monday. On Monday, that was a very, very big story. Tuesday, meaning yesterday, while I was on air, frankly, just as I was coming on air, a big story from the Washington Post, and remember now, the the judge who offered that opinion on Monday that, that Trump had committed a crime didn't have the benefit of what we learned yesterday. What we learned yesterday came in the form of a story Big story at the Washington Post by Bob Woodward and Robert Costa. Costa, who had been a guest of mine on Monday. Geez, he could have told me on Monday what he had coming on Tuesday, don't you think? In fact, I think I even said to him, maybe I didn't. Did I ask him what he was working? Yeah, what are you working on now? I don't know. I mean, yes, he was on. He he did not scoop himself. Let's just say that. As he was on the horn here, though, this is a serious piece of reporting. He obviously knew what was about to drop. He had the documents in Definitely. They were sitting there right on the desk. He's looking at them and talking to you. He's toying with me. not right. (laughs) So, okay, what was revealed by the Washington Post yesterday, Mr. Woodward and Costa? It is that the White House call logs, the president's diary and call logs that have been handed over to the select committee, the House Select Committee now investigating uh, 
the events of January 6th, has a major gap, a seven-hour gap in Donald Trump's telephone calls on January 6th. Here's the lead. Internal White House records from the day of the attack on the U.S. Capitol that were turned over to the House Select Committee show a gap in President Donald Trump's phone logs of seven hours and 37 minutes, including the period when the building was being violently assaulted, according to documents obtained by The Washington Post and CBS News. The lack of an official White House notation of any calls placed to or by Trump for 457 minutes on January 6th, we're talking from 11.17 a.m., until 6.54 p.m. means the committee has no record of his phone conversations as his supporters descended on the Capitol, battled overwhelmed police, and forcibly entered the building, prompting lawmakers and Vice President Mike Pence to flee for safety. The 11 pages of records, which consist of the president's official daily diary and the White House switchboard call logs, were turned over by the National Archives earlier this year to the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack. So they've only come to light now because of this reporting by The Washington Post. The records show that Trump was active on the phone for part of the day, documenting conversations that he had with at least eight people in the morning and 11 people in the evening. The seven-hour gap also stands in stark contrast to the extensive public reporting about phone conversations that he had with allies during the attack. In other words, we know he was on the phone during that time period. We know he was on the phone because you remember the telephone call that he made to Mike Lee, the Republican of Utah, apparently in mistake because he was really seeking to talk to Tommy Tuberville from Alabama. We also know, because they've been discussed and confirmed, that he had at least a phone conversation with House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. So it raises a question of whether the president, Trump, and he says he's never even heard the term, was whether he was using a, a, a burner phone. In other words, there's like a shade of Watergate here now in that there is a cover-up question relative to Trump's conduct on January 6th. And again, this was unknown to the judge who offered the opinion that we learned of on Monday that said that Trump had corruptly tried to obstruct the certification process, that it was a coup in search of a legal theory, and that it would have permanently ended the peaceful transition of power. I have read the 44-page opinion from Judge Carter about how he gets to the conclusion of Trump and Eastman corruptly trying to obstruct the certification process. And a lot of it you've heard before, but what he focuses on is the chronology preceding and on January 6th. For example, in the months following the election, numerous credible sources from the president's inner circle to agency leadership to statisticians informed President Trump and Dr. Eastman there was no evidence of election fraud. And then he details those reports. Notwithstanding Trump and Eastman being told there was no record of fraud, Quote, just after Christmas, Dr. Eastman wrote a now public two page memo proposing that Vice President Pence refuse to count certified electoral votes from states contested by the Trump campaign. Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. 
The memo outlines the two ways in which Dr. Eastman's plan ensures President Trump is reelected. If Vice President Pence refused to count electoral votes from all seven contested states, Trump would win 232 to 222. Alternatively, if Congress claimed that a candidate could not win without reaching 270, Vice President Pence could send the election to the Republican-majority House of Representatives, which would then elect President Trump. The memo emphasized that the main thing here is that Pence should do this without asking for permission, either from a vote of the joint session or from the court. Okay, so Eastman provides in this two-page legal memorandum the justification that Trump is looking for as to how to overturn the election. Then on January the 3rd, now we're three days in advance of the 6th, Eastman drafts a six-page memo expanding on his plan and analysis, which he later disclosed to the media. January 4, Trump and Eastman invite the vice president, the vice president's counsel, the vice president's chief of staff to the Oval Office to discuss the memo. Just put this in context. We are two days before January 6th. Trump has now had his uh, his thoughts of overturning the election bolstered by this attorney, by this law professor who says to him, hey, there's a justification and a means here to do so. So they bring in Pence and they read him the memos and they share with him the substance. During the meeting, Vice President Pence consistently held he did not possess the authority to carry out Dr. Eastman's proposal. The vice president's counsel and chief of staff were then directed to meet separately with Dr. Eastman the next day to review the materials in support of his plan. Dr. Eastman opened the meeting on January 5th bluntly. I'm here asking you to reject the electors. Despite the pushback that the two of them then offer, President Trump and Eastman continue to urge Pence to carry out the plan. In fact, at 1 a.m. on January 6th, President Trump then tweets, If Vice President Mike Pence comes through for us, we will win the presidency. Mike can send it back. At 8.17 a.m., this is now on the 6th, the president tweets, States want to correct their votes. All Mike Pence has to do is send them back to the states and we win. Do it, Mike. This is a time for extreme courage. Following the tweets, the president places two calls to Vice President Pence directly. After not being able to connect with the vice president at about 9 a.m., they speak at 11.20. Vice President Pence's national security advisor was present, described President Trump as berating the vice president for not being tough enough to make the call. And, of course, we all know that Mike Pence then refuses to go along with what President Trump is asking him to do incurring the wrath, I'm sure, forever of President Trump. All right. So that's I'm blending together here what the federal judge said and concluded that we learned of on Monday, that there was this corrupt effort to obstruct the certification process. Now here comes the new information, actually the lacking information, courtesy of Woodward and Costa. And I'm holding in my hands, it's really interesting because it's one thing to read the story, which is posted at Smirconish.com. The Woodward Costa story is posted at my website in today's newsletter, laying out the chronology. But it's, it's quite something else when you look at the actual documents of the president's diary and the call log itself. For example, and they are two different documents. 
One says the daily diary of President Donald Trump. It begins on January 6th at 8.23 a.m. And it ends on that day at, let me just see, 11.23 p.m. The first call that he makes of the day is to Dan Scavino. So if you're looking at what I'm looking at, you see, you know, a, a, chron, a, a chronological presentation of how Donald Trump spent his day. He began his day at 8.23 a.m. by calling Dan Scavino, the, the deputy chief of staff for, for communications. The final thing that he did, as reflected on the diary that day, is that he had a telephone conversation at 11.23 p.m. with um, Director of Presidential Personnel John McEntee. When you look at the diary of the president... It's not as obvious. The way that it's laid out, there are things going on all day long. When you then look, however, at the call log, it is much more notable to the naked eye that there's stone cold silence between 11 a.m. and approximately 7 p.m. When everything was going down, the call log is silent. The last call that's reflected, well, let me give you a little feel for for what he's doing. So he calls Dan Scavino. Um, He speaks with Steve Bannon. He speaks with Rudy Giuliani. He asks the switchboard to find Mark Meadows. Uh, He attempts to call the vice president of the United States, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At 11.04, he speaks with Senator David Perdue for two minutes by cell phone it's not reflected here, but elsewhere I know 1117, he has a telephone call with an unidentified person. And then there's nothing. So at the time, we know that he's speaking. Okay, to be fair, from 12 to 1, he spoke, but then he's back in the White House. He's back in the Oval Office. He's back in the adjacent room to the Oval Office. Nothing that happened is reflected in the records that have been handed over to the House Select Committee. It is not until 6.54 p.m. The Capitol has been stormed. The president has put out the tweet. He's gone to the Rose Garden, right? Remember, we love you, you're beautiful people, whatever the hell he said, you know, go home in peace. Um, It's not until 6.54 that the call log picks up again with him calling Dan Scavino. Uh, and then he makes a number of other calls. He speaks with um, his counsel. He speaks with, uh, at a certain point, Jason Miller. He speaks with Rudy Giuliani. He speaks with uh, Sean Hannity, et cetera, Bannon, Meadows, Scavino again, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a seven-hour gap. There is a seven-hour gap where that information has not been provided. And my point is, I can only imagine, I can only imagine what Judge Carter would have said if he had in his hands when he wrote the opinion that it came to light on Monday that pre- that Trump had engaged in this obstruction. I'm sure it would have been a big, big deal that there was a seven hour gap in that which was handed over. All right. Here's today's survey question at Smirconish.com. And by the way, for those of you, why are you talking about Trump? We haven't talked about Trump for a while. Guess what? We've been talking about Biden and Ukraine. And Biden in Ukraine, meaning the result of his policies and, and how that's playing out, both for his presidency and uh, and Ukraine itself. But today's survey question is Trump focused. And it asks whether Merrick Garland, I wanted to personalize it because he'll have to make the call, but it's the Justice Department. Is Donald Trump going to get indicted? 
pertaining to January 6th, if the judge, and, and this is not something, the fact that this judge, in the context of a discovery dispute, rendered this opinion does not mean Donald Trump's getting indicted. And nor is the opinion that the judge offered binding on anything that's about to unfold. I need to make that crystal clear. It is an opinion that he offered in the context of a discovery dispute where Donald Trump wasn't even given the right to defend himself, but it's significant nonetheless that a federal judge would be of this opinion and put it in print. By the way, Charlie Savage in the New York Times has a pretty good summary of of, of the turf I'm now about to address and cover. Again, the question being, will Merrick Garland, will the Justice Department, will the Attorney General indict Donald Trump for anything that I've just described so far, where a federal judge has said, hey, he corruptly tried to obstruct the certification process. Here's the impediment. This is the the high hurdle for the case. As Savage points out, Trump in public and private pressured Pence to reject or delay counting the Electoral College votes of states where Trump was claiming that his loss to Biden had been fraudulent. There was no if a prosecutor would say the Justice Department would say there was no legitimate basis for Pence to do so. And Trump mounting pressure on him. Was an attempt to unlawfully obstruct the government proceedings and defraud the government. That's what the prosecution would say. The difficulty is, and you heard this recently in the context of Trump's business dealings, when I analyzed Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan district attorney, and his seeming refusal to go ahead with the prosecution of Trump for fraudulent business practices, it largely revolves around Trump's intent. It largely revolves around Trump's intent, proving Trump's state of mind, specifically that he had the requisite criminal intent. The obstruction statute says that for the defendant's actions impeding an official proceeding to be a crime, he had to act corruptly. But what that means isn't detailed in the statute, and the Supreme Court has not definitively offered an answer to that question, raising risks and prosecutions for the Justice Department if they were to bring such a case. The New York Times asked Lori Levinson, the Loyola Law School of Los Angeles professor about this case, she said that prosecutors would have to prove that Trump knew that Pence had no lawful basis to do what he was asking. Another possibility is that prosecutors would need to prove only that Trump had at least some reason to believe that his conduct might be unlawful and proceed anyway. Remember, I told you, according to the opinion of Judge Carter that I was uh, reading from a moment ago, That the president here, I'll read it again. In the months following the election, numerous credible sources from the president's inner circle to agency leadership to statisticians informed Trump and Eastman there was no evidence of election fraud. So it would be the prosecutor saying, hey, Trump, you were told there was no fraud. You nevertheless leaned on Pence and wanted him to assert this case knowing it was baseless. But you got to prove that that was really Trump's state of mind. And Trump's response is going to be to say, absolutely not. Uh, Dead people voted the ballots that came in Pennsylvania. I mean, you've heard all the things that he has said before. I legitimately believe and believe now, I'm sure he would say, that there was fraud in that election. 
Julio Sullivan, a Georgetown University criminal law professor, said that in a criminal trial, it would be up to a jury to decide what Mr. Trump truly believed unless evidence emerges that he told someone he knew what he was saying to be false. She said that's going to be a real challenge. Prosecutors would need to persuade a jury that the same evidence proved beyond a reasonable doubt, that's a much higher standard than Judge Carter used in his discovery dispute, that the former president committed a crime. Moreover, rather than persuading one judge of that proposition, prosecutors would need to convince all 12 members of a jury. Professor Levinson said a judge making a finding to decide whether evidence has to be disclosed, that's Judge Chapman in what we learned about on Monday, is nowhere near the level of proof that you'll need for a criminal case. So I hope I didn't confuse the matter, but that is how I frame and present and ask of you, will Merrick Garland indict Donald Trump for anything regarding January 6th? I mean, to the casual observer from the outside looking in to hear that a federal judge came to this conclusion that he corruptly tried to obstruct the certification process. And my God, now add on top of that a seeming cover up of seven hours missing from the call logs and the diary, yada, yada, yada. It sure seems ominous. But in the end, you've got to convince a jury of 12 that Donald Trump knew this was all bogus and nevertheless undertook the measures that he did, including leaning on Donald Trump. I don't think, if if you want me to go first, I'll go first. I don't think that that burden could be met. And I think that Merrick Garland, the attorney general, will be afraid of the politics, especially the closer that we get to the 2024 presidential election. Uh, The perception that this is a political decision being exercised to thwart Trump in a bid to retake the White House. So my answer is no. Will Merrick Garland indict Donald Trump for anything regarding January 6th? I don't think that he will. But I, uh, I stand here ready to be persuaded otherwise. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS. Sirius XM Channel 124 and on the SXM app. Tony, you're in Nashville, Tennessee. Go ahead. Uh, Michael, I just wanted uh, my my impression of if seven hours of no phone calls obviously is quite, you know, it's, it's an interesting subject. And it's but is he was was president. Did he not make a speech in that seven hours? 
one of the hours of the seven was the speech, as I said, 12 to 1. Oh, so so he made a speech from 11 to 12? 12 oh, to no, 1. Oh, no, speech was from 12 to 1. 12 to 1. Okay, I, re- so I remember... Yeah, I remember the day I was on the air, 12 to 1. So, okay, six so hours. From, so, from one, so from 1 to 6, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you, you, you have something you want to say. Get it off your chest because i got to keep moving. I'm saying from 1, was it from 1 to 6 that he didn't, that he didn't have any phone calls? It was from 11 till 12 and then 1 to 6. You seem oh, doubtful okay. or dubious. So I, I mean, that's, that's Tony. Six hours. That's that's six hours. So I mean, I would think that when you're when you're talking about this, you should mention that there was an hour in there where he was making it. Tony, Tony, about seven hours. Tony, Tony, with this entire yeah. audience as my witness, I just said that before I went to break and giving the whole chronology. I even said twelve to one was when he gave the speech. You weren't hearing it. This is Sean in Ohio. Hi, Sean. What did you most want to say? Morning, Michael. I, I think it's important to know that Donald Trump is a very sick individual and that he really and truly believes whatever thought pops in that little pea brain of his. You know, he, he and his, his parents took him to the school, to the church of Vincent Michael, Vincent Peel, Vincent Norman Peel in New York, and he taught that the power positively thinking is the most powerful thing in the world and that anything that he thinks is true. We can never prove that he thought he was wrong because he's got this illness that makes him think that everything he thinks is true. He really and truly does. We've all heard him in the same speech say two different things with the equal amount of veracity. I, I think Lee- it's sad that he has that disease, but I, and I wish we could do something about it. All right, I, I'm I'm going to leave the the psychological assessment to you. I'm just going to say, from a legal standpoint, here's how I would distill it: When leaning on Pence, did Trump know there was no legitimate basis for what he was asking, what he was seeking? And if he believed in his mind. If he believed in his mind that he'd been robbed in the election, then he does not have the requisite intent. Jeff Boca, on the issue of whether Merrick Garland indicts Donald Trump, the survey question of the day, you say what? I say no. Um, because? And I'll tell you why. Practically speaking, as a former prosecutor, fellow attorney, how are you going to practically, I'd like to hear this from you, Michael, how are you practically going to get a jury to convict? Either Even if they do convict, it's going to be viewed as a political crime, and the nation's going to view it like the election as illegitimate. And so it's, it's yes, you will have convicted him, and the criminal penalties will attach, and maybe he'll never run for president. I just think there's no, there's no quote, justice that can come down. I don't even know how you can impanel a jury, Michael. Now, yeah, I, your you last know, point. Your last point, I think, is your best point. How how in the world can you find an impartial jury to sit in judgment of Donald Trump? I don't think you can. Thank you, Jeff. Dan, you're in Virginia. What are you thinking? Hi. Hi. I think there's enough to indict, but probably not enough to convict. Explain. Um, there, there just seems to be enough to get an indictment, but probably not enough to convince 12 people that he uh, had intent to uh, overthrow. 
In other words, you can establish the probable cause to bring the charge, but to go back to the last caller, convincing 12 people when they're such a politically charged subject, it's just not going to happen. Correct. Yeah, and you need them all. And 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 you need you need them all. By the way, hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east, or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.